Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. I have the diagnosis. My whole family is living with PD, just as much as I am. This is when life gives you Parkinson's. If there are people with Parkinson's, which we know there are, hello, hi, my name is Larry, then there are people living with people with Parkinson's. This is what we're talking about today. This is what we're exploring. For years, the people living with people with Parkinson's have been called carers or care partners. For many in the community, that doesn't go far enough to describe the relationship, the partnership. In the past year, through the podcast, we've had conversations about partners, marriage, dating, intimacy, and the journey of the disease. One of the drumbeats of change in the Parkinson's community that is getting louder and louder is that if the whole family actually gets Parkinson's, like we say it does, why don't they get an equitable share of voice, support, respect, and say? We've talked to Tim Hague a couple of times in the podcast. He won Amazing Race Canada Season 1, wrote the book Perseverance. Tim and his wife Cheryl sat down with my wife Rebecca and me, and we played some word association around this topic while we were at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto. I'm going to say a word or phrase, um, and you tell me what comes to mind. Marriage. Fun. Partnership. Love. I was going to say love. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think it's pretty awesome. It's probably the best decision I ever made. Same. I would say same best decision I ever made. Yeah. Care partner. Oh, don't like that word. Don't like that word. Um... Nothing's really changed. It's still we're still care partners for each other in our marriage. We're just we're just carrying on in our marriage as partners. Yeah, the the care part of it. I guess in my mind, I switch it around to all the different ways that you can care that we can care for each other, and so in that way, it is a partnership. So I guess I just kind of switch the the label around and the word around in in my head. But the way that it's used in the community is not necessarily the way that I that I react to it because you're still very independent and functional and and so it's more that we take we help take care of each other emotionally um, and there you know practical things change but and that has certainly shifted that balance has shifted in our relationship but I don't feel like I need to take care of him in the traditional sense he doesn't need that yet so I need a little bit of that yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but really, I mean, uh, it, it seems so sterile to me for a marriage to now you're suddenly you're, you're no longer my wife or my spouse, but you're my care partner. It just it for me, it, it, it seems outdated as a term. Yeah, and I, I feel very much that way. I it annoys me to be referred to as someone needing a care partner. It annoys me when someone calls me a patient because I am neither of those two things. I am Cheryl's husband who happens to have part. Parkinson's and she certainly helps me in lots of ways with that but as she has over and over reinforced to me I continue to help her as her husband and so yes this is a partnership that happens to have Parkinson's in it and neither one of us are the other's care partner I'm her husband she is my wife and we walk through this together 
I actually thought of um, a term yesterday, which I think more describes it, and it's a partner in Parkinson's. Because you're, walk, you're, you're partnering, you're walking through Parkinson's together. We, we have Parkinson's, and we're partnering in this journey together. I like that. I've actually been searching for, I did a little brainstorming with a, with a friend who is also a partner and um, trying to find that. And we found different versions of things that weren't terribly practical in use. So I, I really like that, that you came up with that. That does seem to encompass. Um, because you're right, you're a partner in Parkinson's. You're partners and you're equals and all of that, all of that. But then in this, considering the Parkinson's, you are also partners in Parkinson's because it is part of your life. So, yeah, I like that. The WPC was a gift. It allowed us to look at Parkinson's from 40,000 feet and have big, broad discussions like what does a care partner mean and got down to ground-level day-to-day tactics for living with PD. Some of being a partner in Parkinson's is just knowing some tried-and-true best practices for everyday living and coping. Dina Grinnell is married to Jim Smurden, who has had Parkinson's for 15 years. They were both featured in the DBS episode this season. Rebecca, just three years into our PD journey, sat down with Dina to pry her for any tips or advice she has to offer. Parkinson's hacks. Why don't we, go, why don't we pop into that? Sure. Yeah, so little life hacks that have helped us. So Jim was diagnosed with Parkinson's when he was 33, and so he's a young man generally and had a, had a lot um, going on so we found that um, the first things that were really noticeable was a that really limited dexterity in his fingers and hands and then of course the sleep um, just distru- sleep disturbance inability to turn over in bed and, and micrographia was one that was really problematic for him very What's early that? handwriting becomes very very oh, small sure yeah yep. and it's very hard for the brain to tell the fingers what to do and uh, those were those were the signs that I knew he had Parkinson's a couple of years before he was diagnosed because they're so classic. Um, but at any rate, so we had to start to divide and conquer on the areas where dexterity really mattered. And like I was saying, he was a, he was an incredibly fashionable guy wearing suits and buttons and ties every day, and eventually those had to go. You know, find a way to look professional, but don't rely so much on all of those doodads. Mm-hmm. And uh, and even footwear, I've noticed. I mean, he's got a great selection of footwear, but he more often chooses footwear that has a super smooth bottom because of the mm-hmm. shuffle, mm-hmm. and because so many floors will grab soles, right? Sticky mm-hmm. soles, running shoe soles. Um, but if you have a smooth bottom, he can maneuver himself around a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, his Crocs may not be deemed as fashionable by the hipsters, but they certainly allow him <laughs> to move the way he'd like to. Um, well, then, and that kind of is counterintuitive if you think about it, because if you think you don't want to slip, because most people are thinking about slipping around and not wanting to, they kind of want that grab or else they'll trip or, or, or whatnot. So it's, it's yeah. completely different for him. Yeah, that's right. The shuffle is, is advantageous, and then that's where he needs to move. He hasn't mm-hmm. had balance issues so much until very recently. Okay. Um, um, and so that's starting to be a bit of a challenge. But yeah, there's that. And then we started riding our bicycles a lot more because walking any distance is now really challenging. And it always was. And he didn't like it in part because I think the physical effort, but also because of the appearance of his walk. It's just difficult mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. wouldn't understand what was going on. So using a bicycle gave us a new freedom. We felt like kids again because we both hadn't ridden much as part of our habit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it made getting around town easy. And whenever we travel now, we will rent bikes and use that as our way to get around. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge freedom for him, even now. 
Can you describe his walk, how he walks now? Uh, sure. I mean, walking now, he walks with a walking stick now, and that's been another good hack. Um, he started using one um, not because he had balance issues, but because he could use it as a metronome. And he was, tr- he was shown that using the walk as um, a kick device would ensure that he picked up his feet sufficiently mm-hmm. to make the full step. And I think he really found that um, kind of a great tool when he started to use it. And he also found that people then identified that his walk wasn't because he was a drug addicted freak. <laughs> it was because something right. was going on that he needed a walking stick. And I think mm-hmm. he found that that signal also made him more comfortable with the way things were. Okay. Uh, nowadays, walking is getting harder. Uh, he's got a lot more sort of Um, dyskinesia in his upper body movement Mm -hmm. Um, so the shuffle and the kick and the challenge of moving one foot in front of the other um, it's now exhausting Mm -hmm. and so you know you can go a couple hundred meters but we we walked about eight kilometers one day when we were in Japan accidentally we didn't realize the walk was nearly that long and it, it was it was a challenge yeah yeah well and I noticed that when we were walking, the first time I'd really seen Jim walk any distance, we were walking through the Kyoto airport. Mm. And luckily there weren't a lot of people around. And I don't know if he was particularly dyskinetic at the time, but he walks like he needs a lot of space around him. Yes. Because he kind of leans back and he goes forward and he might take a few steps to the side to kind of regain and yeah. regain his direction and everything. So yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a part of his day. Yeah. <laughs> and like you say, it does cycle. People used to say to Jim, well, you're lucky. I mean, at least Parkinson's helps you manage your weight. Yeah. Wow. Really fortunate. That's Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Super. Yeah. Yeah, just lack, just bull face, lack of awareness. Yeah. 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 But when you are, when you're vibrating all day, it yeah. does burn a fair amount of energy. Sure. Yeah. Another hack we've figured out recently is most major department stores have a wheelchair that you can borrow mm-hmm. and the airports are far more, um, far more helpful around accessibility than we had explored in the early days. Mm-hmm. So we've learned to ask for those devices and use them and it sure makes him a lot more comfortable because getting around in a crowded space is mm-hmm. difficult. Mm-hmm. I also found in Japan when it was so, so, so busy and I would lead him through those busy areas. Here's another hack. Don't look at people because mm-hmm. if you don't look at them, mm-hmm. they look at you and they'll make way. But if you look at them, they expect you to move. And mm-hmm. I can't, Jim can't move and respond right. to people behind. So I kind of have to swim him upstream through a crowd like that. And I found the not looking people in the eye made that a lot easier. Oh, interesting. It was very, it I will was, try that because I tend to look at the people that I'm passing. I want to notice yeah. if they're noticing what's happening and if, right. Yeah. So, oh, okay. I know Good. we're Canadians. It's hard not to be acknowledging everybody, but <laughs> give it a try. You say hi to everybody, right? <laughs> and then there's the seize the day piece. You know, it's not much of a hack, but it's also that you really do have to take advantage of the times and the abilities that you have. Mm-hmm. We didn't know so long ago that Jim would be doing as well as he is today. And uh, so we're lucky. We've been able to travel. He was able to work full time up until this year, so 15 years of work. Um, and he's still working, just not quite so much. Um, but uh, do the trips that you want to do. You know, buy the car that you want to buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a that was one for him too. Actually, he mm-hmm. he had to think about this. He, this might be my last car. What what should it be? 
Um, and uh, we got a dog, and the reason we got a dog was in part uh, we wanted one, but also because it forced him to get outside every day mm-hmm. and to have that demanding presence because we don't have kids to get home from work. We were both workaholics mm-hmm. uh, to take the dog out and have something to focus on Mm -hmm. and it was incredibly useful it was really really good for him and he loved walking our beautiful dog because he could it would distract people from how Jim was walking and they would just be watching this beautiful dog and I know that was a good thing yeah long dogs are natural healers right they just kind of they know when you need help and you need a little emotional support and so I imagine that was nice to have oh definitely Anything else you want to say about that? Oh, there's so many things we can say. I mean, a little bit of divide and conquer happens in every relationship, and it certainly happens when you have to assess and have have a joking way to acknowledge, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. know, play to your strengths kind of thing. Yeah. Um, because um, some, some days there's some things that Jim you know, just shouldn't spend his time trying to do, and I feel fine about being the backfill. And then there's other times when I know it's going to take him three hours, but I ask him to do it because he's got three hours, right? right. <laughs> But yeah, you really do have to be sensitive to that because um, certain frustrations aren't worth it Yeah. if you can figure out how to divide the the labor around the house a little bit more. Well, and it's still a partnership, right? You never want to let that go. And and if it becomes 90-10 on everything except for him exercising or him working or, you know, whatever it is for him to take care of the Parkinson's, then it's not a partnership anymore. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So a little bit of tough love goes a long ways too. And I think that's part of the reason why Jim has continued to be as able as he is, Mm -hmm. is we haven't really discussed not. So. (laughs) You never discussed We haven't discussed um, his inabilities. Oh, got it. Right? So Mm -hmm. you kind of pay attention and you know, but at the same time we haven't said, oh, okay, maybe it's time for this or that. Mm -mm. He can still do everything. Some things take him longer. Thankfully, um, he's a motivated individual, so his his interest in his motorcycles and his friends and so many different things that he researches, his work, um, cooking, like he continues to explore those interests. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. Uh, he has fended off depression, which normally goes with Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. Um, I think fairly heroically. And part of that is by staying really active. Yeah. Mm. And he had led an active life before. Very. Yeah. So yeah. So he didn't give that up. He just had to compromise how he stayed, he stayed active. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And not expect so much at the end of a day now, an eight hour day. He's wiped, yeah. you know, unreasonably. Uh, but, uh, but at the same time, yeah, he still keeps a lot of things very close to him and continues to be outside of the home as much as he can. And I think that's been super great. And you guys are pretty involved in the community, the Parkinson's community. We have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah fairly, fairly involved. And, uh, and I think that's been really good, too. He didn't speak out publicly about his Parkinson's for a little while. But not too long. It was fairly early in his career with Parkinson's that he decided better to be vocal about it and share the story to make people around him understand and be you know, supportive and more comfortable. And I must say that I think that was a huge moment for him. You saw the shift in his confidence. You saw the weight come off the shoulders. And so then he started championing the fundraising initiatives and getting involved for mm-hmm. uh, PSBC when they needed him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been another great social circle for him. Yeah. Yeah, I think community is a is a hack, and that doesn't always know, come naturally. I'm pretty introverted, and community has never been. It's one of those things where like I get it, I value it when I have a community, I appreciate it. You know, but I never sought out a community. I never saw it as 
part of my well-being or self-care or personal growth or anything like that. And this has been a wake-up call where that's concerned. And I found this community in particular to be to match me pretty mm. well as far as general personality and sense of humor and edginess and, and all of that. It feels mm. very comfortable. It's very welcoming very easily. Like you're nice. immediately welcomed into the into the club. There's no discerning or checking you out or you know all of that stuff that comes with some of the baggage with other <laughs> with other communities and groups and things mm. right it's just kind of like oh you're one of us come on in yeah I, welcome. I, I felt the same I felt the same kind of welcome you're absolutely right and I think I am probably more like you when it comes to the breadth of a social circle and mm-hmm. building community whereas Jim makes a good friend out of absolutely everybody he meets that's his <laughs> natural style yeah and I envy that it's one of the things I love about him um but yeah I think you're absolutely right there there's nothing I think more destabilizing than not having an outlet an mm-hmm. outlet where you can share and he does and he has wonderful friends who are willing to talk about this which is also I think really great yes yeah, yeah. The intimate friendships. Yeah, absolutely. Dina mentioned that sometimes being a spouse of someone with PD means tough love. I talked about that with Jimmy Choi, who you might remember from American Ninja Warrior. How's uh, Cheryl adapting to being a care partner? Um, you know, she is my greatest cheerleader, and um, I think she has taken she has taken on their role uh, like a champ. Um, I mentioned that we both, uh, we both were, were learning back in, during the time when, when I started, when I opened that pamphlet, we both started learning. Mm-hmm. And uh, she never stopped educating herself um, about the disease. She's always looking from, from a care, care, care partner's perspective, uh, things that, uh, that she can be doing for me or shouldn't be doing or should be doing for me, right? And, and I, again, I heard her talking about this with other people um, that with other advice that she's given to other uh, caregivers, you know, the, the, the tendency for caregivers is to help um, to help their, their, their partner um, with everything, right? Oh, here, let me cut that steak for you. Or here, let me um, help you tie your shoes or let me help you do this and that. But Cheryl's attitude is, you know what? Jimmy's a big boy. Let him try it. Let him fail. And let him ask for help. Okay? Because if I didn't try things for myself, again, going back to the attitude of if I didn't try for myself, how do I know, how do I really know that I can't do it if I don't try for myself? And every, day's, really, and every day is different. Like there's one, every, one day I can't, I can't open a pickle jar, but the next day I can. Yes, Absolutely. And, and, and that's why, you know, you have to, as a caregiver, she, and, and I hear her talking about this all the time, you know, she's like, you know, just stand back, have patience. You got to have patience because people with Parkinson's will move slower um, than, than, than anybody else. And then, and then if you have someone as stubborn as Jimmy, you know, I will keep trying until I absolutely fail and, and finally ultimately ask for help. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like today, I might be able to tie my shoes pretty quickly, but tomorrow it might take me three and a half minutes to do it. You know, but you're but still you, doing it, but I'm still doing it. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the key, right? In order to be independent, in order to be, to, to live our best lives, we have to try and do things, um, as best as we can. The people living with Parkinson's helping the people who have the diagnosis help us do more, achieve more and expect more 
which helps us live better lives, more productive lives, happier lives. For partners or carers or spouses, Parkinson's can be a third wheel in a relationship, but it doesn't have to drive a wedge. Ellen Bookman has PD. I met her at the Parkinson's IQ Plus U event in Atlanta. Honestly, I would say that we have gotten closer. We've been married almost 28 years, and it's brought us closer because he's really the only person who knows every single thing. He notices the movement. He notices when I'm stiff, He and he gets it. He gets it as much as he can without having Parkinson's. Does it affect intimacy? No. I mean, we're best friends. And we've been... I met him when I was 23 years old. And we've been together. I'm 54 now. And our friendship and camaraderie and intimacy is all built around just us having now a life together with the new normal. Which is not always easy to navigate. Um, uh, do you talk about the Parkinson's a lot, or is it sort of a non-spoken thing? No, no. Oh, yeah, we talk about it. You know, I know that sometimes talking about it is me whining and complaining. And, you know, and I think a lot of it is visual for him. He comes home from work. Um, and um, some days, you most days, you know, usually I'm okay. I just, well, <laughs> so uh, I say that with a chuckle. I mean, he knows when things are going to go downhill. And usually for me, it's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And he comes home about 5, 4, 30, 5 o'clock. And so I'm always a little bit less. But, you know, he, he knows. He gets, I've always been a up-and-down person, so it hasn't really changed that much. But, yeah. Does he uh, have support? Um, yeah, I mean, he has friends that he, that he talks to at work, I, I believe. I mean, I don't know how much he actually verbalizes and talks about it. Uh, he talks about it with me, and he's very open. And after I read your blog the other day, I mean, listened to the podcast the other day, I said, how are you doing with all of this? I literally wrote myself a note to ask my husband, because as I, another blog I wrote about is caregiving. It's so hard. It's, 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 it's hard to watch your spouse go through this disease mm -hmm. uh, I have a good attitude when I can but my attitude affects his attitude and it's it's very it's hard it's becoming clear to me that now is the time that we begin the inclusion of care partners as events and programs and research projects and doctor visits are designed and planned creating default seats for people with Parkinson's and the people living with the people with Parkinson's Dr. Gila Bronner from the Sheba Medical Center in Israel typically works with couples on sex and intimacy issues after a PD diagnosis. She believes it should be a partnership where you are caring for each other. I think that we treat all the time, we treat people with Parkinson and we forget the caregivers. We need the caregivers. We need to think of their health of their physical and mental health, of their needs, even for the needs of intimacy, like when they have done so much during the day, maybe a good foot massage 
or shoulder massage, or just making them a cup of tea when they come home. I mean, we have to care for them because they have such an important uh, and efficient job in caring for this uh, disease. When was the last time you said thank you to those who help you? Smiled when they came in the room? Offered gratitude for tough love? Or thanks for a helping hand? Don't forget to do that. Because imagine how tough it would be if you didn't have a partner. Joe Pacenti's 55. He lives just outside Philadelphia. I was diagnosed roughly 12 years ago uh, when I was 43. And, um, you know, I had four kids at the time. I was going through a divorce. I just lost my dad. I was, like, worried that I was going to be by my, my – I give my mom, my late mom credit. She was the one that told me that, you know, I got to go try to meet somebody after a couple years of watching me sling around and not do anything. My business was suffering, my relationship with my kids because I was embarrassed to go places where mm-hmm. when they were playing ball and stuff. I was uh, really uh, not functioning well. I was giving up any hope. I figured this is my new norm. I'm going to have to live this way. And uh, I didn't never realize because I was by myself. My kids didn't really pay attention to it because they're young. I never realized how slow and how much I was slurring. Slurry Joe took to Match.com to see if he could find love. I was actually, you know, pretty successful getting the dates. It was just getting a second date that was uh, difficult. But I was I was by dating for about a year and a half. And uh, I went out on some that were, you know, uh, okay. And some that were pretty good. And uh, But then, but then it, like, it was like, you know, they, they saw something wrong with me. And, and to their credit, some, you know, they, they realized it and they didn't want to pursue any kind of relationship. After a series of first dates... Joe found Sarah. I remember our first phone call. I could not understand a thing that Joe was saying. <laughs> it sounded like he was slurring his words, and I kept having to ask him to repeat himself. And it was it was about two o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, and I thought this guy must already be drunk because <laughs> I just couldn't understand <laughs> what you were saying. So, Sarah, how did you get past yeah. uh, not being able to understand him? Well, I agreed to meet him for lunch so I could see him face to face. And on our first date, I noticed right away that Joe was moving awkwardly. We had a great time and he made me laugh. And after our first date, though, I I mentioned it to my oldest daughter. And I said, I think that this guy might have Parkinson's or maybe it's MS. I wasn't sure. And she yells at me over the phone and she says, oh, my gosh, mom, you have to find something wrong with every guy you date. She said, (laughs) maybe he was just nervous. But I didn't think that Joe was just nervous. And the reason why is because my uncle has had Parkinson's disease. And I think he's pushing about 30 years now with it. And I remembered some of the awkward movements, especially the especially the dyskinesias. We had so much fun at the date. I mean, I walked her back to her office. Her office is on Chestnut Street in Philly. But I had so much fun with her because um, she, uh, uh, be honest with you, and I say this to everybody, she never really saw the Parkinson's. And I know I was I was trying to really, because I, I, I used to take like an extra carbidopa levodopa and my dyskinesia would kick in at the wrong time. And and she she, if I was shaking, she wasn't saying anything. And she, you could tell she was really listening to what I had to say. And uh, it's been like that since. And it's been great. She, she really never saw the Parkinson's. And if she did, she didn't make that wasn't going to stop her from seeing me again. 
Mm. Now, Joe can tell you story after story about him over medicating prior to dates. <laughs> <laughs> they were pretty wild. You, you, uh, you don't anticipate the dopamine rush from the date, do you? <laughs> no, no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, Sarah, what did you fall in love um, with? Well, I Joe makes me laugh all the time. And Joe's whole face lights up when he laughs and he smiles. And... He was tall, dark, and handsome, so that was just my type, too. So, <laughs> And when you're on a dating site, not, you're not always getting the truth from people. So I was very pleased to see he was 6'3", and tall, dark, and handsome. And he and I, and he's very intelligent, and he and I had could talk about anything, and it seemed like there were no awkward moments in our conversations. You know, we laughed at ourselves. We laughed at each other. And so on our third date, when Joe told me that he had Parkinson's disease, and in, in his words, I want you to know what you're getting into before we continue to get to know each other, I told him about my uncle. At this point, mostly aware of the journey ahead, Sarah says she gave herself the title Google Doctor to confirm her beliefs about PD and to figure out how to be helpful so they can live their best lives with PD. She signed up for podcasts, blogs, read books, talked to friends. One friend, whose brother has PD, was going through LSVT big and loud to improve his voice. Sarah thought, well, that might help Joe, too. After a few months, I asked him if I could come to the neurologist with him. I came with my list of questions, and one of them was, what about this LSVT? Only to find out that the doctor had actually mentioned it to Joe in the past, but Joe didn't pursue it. Way to go, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I, I, I used to go to the doctors anyway and tell them everything was fine. And, oh, you know, was, Joe, that's horrible. Yeah, and I'd walk out of there saying I got about 800 things I should have told them, that, but I couldn't see them again for six months. It's, I, always, I tell everybody it's like going to their priest, you know, to make confession. You never say anything that you did bad. You're like, you know, ten, I was waiting for him to give me 10 Hail Marys and four our fathers when I walked out of there. <laughs> but I, but it, was like, it was like a challenge for me not to show him my dirty laundry and Sarah, you know, to my, to my benefit aired my dirty laundry and it really helped. Well, yeah, yeah. because then they can treat it. Exactly. I mean, he was medic. He was, he's a Tom Nuts guy. He asked the right questions, but I wasn't, I, you know, I was so used to moving slow and, and being apathetic that, you know, I didn't think there's anything out there that could change that. And it's changed dramatically. You, you know what the difference is, is you thought it was the doctor's appointment, but it was his appointment with you. It was the Joe appointment. You're, you're right. And, That's right. And you need to treat it as such, and you need to take control of that. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and we've done that in the last two. It's been great. The last couple have been great. And I, the doctor mentioned that, you know, exercise could slow or stop the progression yep. and he talked about how the therapy the lsvt was going to help joe with speaking and even if joe just screamed the vowels you know three times every morning that at the top of his lungs that just that little bit would help him too and so um, I, we came back to the doctor the next time and i was so proud because joe and i were walking and you know we were doing these, we were doing this LSVT and all this, and he looked at me and he said, and you need to go on a diet. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, where's my good job? You know? Joe and Sarah were married last year. 
And as his partner in Parkinson's, Sarah's discovering the value of tough love, just like we discussed earlier. I'll say that there's times when I won't let Joe lean. I won't, I'll, I'll treat him like he doesn't have it. Good. Like I will, I, I won't let him just accept that he has it. And therefore that means he can't do these things that I want to do or that I want us to try. Um, or that makes him, because he has it and it's not going to go away, that it makes our life any less. So I don't know what that is, Larry. I don't know if that's, if that's denial or if, um, what, what you would even call that, but, but I just, I treat him like we're just the two completely healthy people and we're going to go zip lining in Las Vegas. That's awesome. (laughs) That's great. 12 years into the disease. So, um, you know, even when Joe tries to use Parkinson's as an excuse to not do something, you know, take the trash out. uh, Yeah. I, I don't know if I, if I let him admit that, um, he's got it all the time. Right. She'll let me me vent, but it'd be a vent for a little while. And it's, I'm not venting as much anymore. It's just, it's just part of the day. You know, it's just, you got to deal with it. I think I, what I do more better now is I don't get as frustrated when I'm hitting those off periods. So the symptoms don't exasperate, exasperate as bad as they used to. I used to get very frustrated when I freeze up. I get frustrated when I was having a tough, difficult time buttoning my pants, tying my shoes, all the little things. I don't try to get as frustrated as much. I'm like, you, you just, I've been thinking about, I think about other things. I move on to something else and then I'll come back to what I was frustrating me. And I think that's helped. And I stayed busy. The busier I am, the less time I got a chance to think yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. Joe and Sarah are examples of how Parkinson's doesn't mean life and love and partnerships can't be created, sustained, and strengthened through the PD journey. You know, I had a lot of people who, when they found out that Joe had Parkinson's, were like, Sarah, what are you doing? You know, why why are you going to continue to see this guy? And, you know, then, and I just ignored them because I didn't want the, pre- I didn't want peer pressure making the decision. I wanted to meet Joe's doctor and talk about the disease. And I wanted to read about the disease and research it and find out, you know, if this, that I was taking this challenge on, you know, that I was, that I was doing the right thing. Cause you know, my, I, Joe won my heart right away in our relationship. It's it's important though, that it's important that the the person that doesn't have the, the problem they're taking a big, huge leap of faith. I mean, I always tell everybody, it's like she got on the high dive and there was no water in the pool and still <laughs> jumped in. But it's, but it's, it's the truth. She took a huge leap of faith, and that sort of, to be honest with you too, Larry, that sort of gave me a lot of positive, lot, lot of energy and a lot of, uh, a lot of confidence again. Like, hey, you know, if this person sees something else in me, I have, I have more stuff to offer. I just, it's just going to be a different way how I offer. And Joe, if Joe wasn't fighting for himself, I probably would have walked away. But Joe's willing to, it's a full-time job, Larry, fighting this disease. Mm. I know you're three years in, but between all the therapy and then the different medications and timing your meals and um, all the getting enough sleep and stuff, I mean, it's really a full-time job to fight this disease, to slow the progression of this disease. And I, I, I see that. Parkinson's can also impact communication in a major way. Joe and Sarah are learning new ways to resolve disagreements because PD symptoms can intensify during stressful situations like marital disagreements. I've witnessed it myself with Joe many times. 
And even though we're painting this beautiful picture of our marriage, we definitely have our moments that aren't beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> Like what? Of one of our one of our battles, you know, that we that will that we'll have over something and you know, I'm stubborn and he's stubborn and we'll yell and then I, I decide I'm gonna give him the silent treatment over it, something like that. And and I will say that it's different from my first relationship. I could carry out that silent treatment for days because the you didn't see how it impacted the other person. If I, I see the stress of our fights and if Joe thinks I'm mad at him, I see that stress, it, it affects his symptoms. And I immediately am like, okay, this is ridiculous. We need to sort through this and talk it out where before I would just hold on until I got my way and then I was told I was right. <laughs> it's really changed the way that I, as you know, a wife, treat kind of like those moments in our marriage, you know, where you're fighting over something. And you, and you, it seems like through when I'm coming into an off, or coming into an off, my pet medicine's not working as well. You seem to get a little nastier, mm -hmm. little, little sure, you, you know, and, and I'm really not like that way when I'm feeling good, but it's like, you, you don't even realize you're being, you know, being smart, being a smart alk or being, you know, nasty. You don't even realize it. It's just, you know, the brain's working differently when that medication isn't working. Well, and you probably have a little masking going on too, so she can't read the, uh, the face. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point too. I can, the, the old poker face always works. Yeah. Well, so, and, and does she have to tell you like three and four times the same thing? And you're like, what, what? Uh, I don't remember talking about that. I do. <laughs> I do that all the time. I do that all the time. I, I think I'm getting to a point now, even if I remember, I say I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> we just had that last night. She's like, we have talked about this four times. I'm like, yeah, it's it great. does not ring a bell. It's so funny. It's so funny. It's the same way. I'm the same way. It's funny how we can't remember everything. The, the disease can get in the way of communication in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you. It can get in the way of it, but it also has forced me to set aside my stubbornness and say, okay, let's sit down and talk this, talk this out because I, I'm watching you get sicker because I'm, yeah. because I want you to, to, to understand what I'm saying. So I need to re I need to talk about this. I need to, I've said to him before, okay, I must not be saying this the right way. So let me try this way of saying it. But we, we have a different, we have a better communication, I think, than I ha ever had in my first marriage, just because I care. I don't want to watch. I, I can't have this argument make him sicker. I'm not going to let that happen. And the difference between 10 years without a partner and the past two years with one is night and day for Joe. And I and I'm I'm at, I'm at a point, too, where the, the, I like I don't like moving slow once in a while, but it's made you smell like smell the flowers a little better. Things that are that were important but now it's become priorities my family i mean it's not about going out and making a buck it's not about going golfing with your friends it's about you know the important things and and i'm able to because i know I, I have a window when i'm feeling great during the day i try to really spend a lot of time with my wife my kids you know and focus on that kind of stuff the other stuff is secondary right now as the disease restricts my ability to empathize to care to be concerned at times and as this degenerative neurological brain disorder causes disorder in my brain, steals my thoughts and my voice, 
I know Rebecca will find clarity and might in putting pen to paper, invoking the compassion of Quan Yin, and will words that will strike like lightning and reverberate like thunder. Two thoughts. How lucky am I? And B. What are we waiting for? The PWP, the people with Parkinson's, and the community of health professionals and researchers and neurologists and therapists, we need to recognize the important role the people living with people with Parkinson's plays. They should be included with an equitable voice in everything we do. And now, as we often do, let's catch up with my partner in Parkinson's, Rebecca. We are taking a little nature walk on Father's Day. We're not walking, but we're sitting. <laughs> so we tried to do this at outdoors. Tried. With bird sounds and... We were interrupted by mosquitoes, people, and our son. Yes. <laughs> we just decided it wasn't worth the Adaptation is a big theme of Parkinson's. Yes. <clears throat> Should we do a clap? Or- yeah, hey, Henry, I mean, can Henry, you clap? clap? Okay. One big one. Do you remember what was the catalyst for you becoming more of an active partner in Parkinson's? The podcast had a lot to do with it. It exposed us to a really incredible, diverse group of people from the Parkinson's community. And I started to feel part of that and committed to that in a bigger way than just for your well-being and our family's well-being. What really clinched it, though, was WPC in Kyoto. It was so encouraging. And I only went to one day. It was all about what can we do? What are the possibilities? What's going really well? Where are the opportunities for us all to get involved and support each other? So I felt really empowered after that and felt like I wanted to get more involved. And that's when I started proposing the creativity writing workshop that I had done um, for other organizations doing that within the Parkinson's community. Do you find it difficult to find people that you can relate to who are also partners in Parkinson's? I can relate to everyone who is a partner in Parkinson's to, at some level because there are similarities with our experiences, period. We all understand and the nuances and complications of that and 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 to a large degree the benefits of of this experience and having this in our lives and for our families finding people in a similar practical situation where they understand those kinds of specifics nuances with parenting younger children and and dealing with a person who's their person with parkinson's is still working full time or working a lot or very busy that dynamic is is tougher, and I was able to connect to people like that at WPC, but there aren't a ton locally. How do you balance how much time you spend on being a partner in Parkinson's and caring or doing things, thinking about Parkinson's versus Henry versus what you want to do and your personal well-being and your interests? Oh, not very well most days. To be honest, it's always on my mind and my intention is always there. Some days I do it better than others. 
if I do one thing every day that is something that helps me remain in balance, then I consider it a success. Are you ever overwhelmed by Parkinson's? When you were first diagnosed? Absolutely. Now it's become more a part of our life and not the focus because it's new, because it's scary, because it's overwhelming, because there's uncertainty, all those things. For a while, just processing it was top priority for the whole family. But I'm also in a situation where while Parkinson's is apparent and we're dealing with it and it does affect our life, it hasn't changed our lifestyle so dramatically that it, that it feels that in that way overwhelming. And to be fair, um, Parkinson's it typically is a pretty slow progression. So you have time to kind of incrementally shift and grieve deal with all of the things that come with the disease over time Mm -hmm. while it feels like it's kind of continuous and that's not necessarily happy to think about like this it's just going to continue and continue continue. it certainly is more manageable it's like taking little bites rather than shoving the burrito in your face right i was gonna say eating the elephant in one bite but whatever (laughs) Shoving a burrito in your face is another great way. You eat elephants? Oh, you well, you wouldn't. No, you no. you'd have to eat it one bite at a time. You would be forced to because it's just too big. Right? Yes, you've noticed my symptoms have progressed. What are you noticing that's changing? I noticed your your right hand is quite affected by it, and it's not even a tremor. It's just kind of, it's almost like a dyskinesia in your right hand where it kind of flaps and is constantly kind of, you know, the, the fingers going out and coming back in. That happens a lot, especially when you're talking. I've noticed forgetting things a bit more where unless I have your full attention and you're looking at me and I say, Larry, there's an appointment tomorrow at two o'clock. Can you please write it down that it likely will be gone? And so I have to remind and write down and make sure that it gets in the calendar and all of that. Forgetting little details, forgetting that I told you a story. It just kind of, it goes away because, and correct me if I'm wrong, the way you've described it is you... Um, if you're juggling too many things in your brain at the same time, one of them has to go. And the new information is often the one that goes because you were already focusing on something before I started to speak. Yeah. It's like I have a small mantle in my head and there's only so many knickknacks that can go on that mantle before something has to fall off. Right. I think I, I also notice that in pictures, I think I'm smiling very brightly and I've got this real flat face. Like mm-hmm. there's less and less emotion on my face. I got to try harder and harder to put emotion on my face. Yeah. I notice that you're in a bubble more frequently. You kind of have to block out all the stimuli. 
um, or just focus on what you're dealing with in that moment because physically it's taking a lot of, or mentally it's taking a lot of attention for you to do what you're doing or you're feeling something really intensely, like all of a sudden you have an anxiety moment or all of a sudden your right foot is intensely painful where it just takes all of your focus. Plus, dopamine is one of the chemicals that affects empathy. There are times when I'm, I'm like, okay, so these 10 things are happening around you, honey, and they re- would require your attention or could you help with them? Or your son is upset, but you don't, but you're not noticing as quickly as you used to or something like that. And I have to kind of help you help redirect that empathy muscle right. and your eyes towards what, what could require your attention or your empathy in that, in that moment, because you get, because the bubble is particularly strong in that moment for lots of reasons, most of them chemical. Most people think of it as more physical. And so, and you, you do without the dopamine. I mean, I've got a shuffle and like, I, it's sometimes I can barely get down the stairs and barely get some, you've helped me out of bed before. And if there's too much stimuli, I just shut down. Yes. So the other day we had a uh, interesting discussion where we got honest with each other. We both spoke with conviction. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, um, you know, there are times when, you know, we disagree. And in those moments, uh, we, if we can listen to each other and hear what each other is saying and not just want to make our point, it, it, can, um, it can be productive. But it's, you know, we both get emotional and passionate, just as I think all couples do it from time to time. And this was one of those occasions where... You know, I I feel an urgency to be an advocate. I feel like uh, there's a stopwatch on me that I got to do this now, now, now. And every time I commit to something, it's less time with the family and it's less time on my own personal wellness. So I was challenging you to think about prioritizing different things. And it wasn't even about the the family necessarily. It was about you prioritizing your long-term wellness over your short-term projects. If you take care of yourself now and you do the exercise that's been mentioned by everyone who's ever said anything about Parkinson's <laughs> and how to slow or stop progression, then you perhaps would be able to do all of these things for longer and at a slower pace so that it doesn't take over your life and create stress. And it's a fear, but also just a general neutral concern for you and your well-being to kind of reprioritize that and slow things down a bit. If we all get Parkinson's, the family gets Parkinson's, then we need to to have a say and be heard when it comes to making those kinds of choices, because it's not just a choice for you. You are ultimately in charge of that choice, but your choices are affecting how many years we have where you can be relatively active and travel and do things with your son and be around and be present in your son's life as he goes through these really formative years. He's, he just turned 11 years old. He needs his dad. You're an excellent model for how to be a great human being, but also how to kind of navigate the world as a man. And I want him to see you 
in full form and have that model the way that I see you and the way that you're modeling it now. I'd love for that to continue as long as possible so that you can be present for all of these things and be part of these decisions. Well, and I think I'd never thought of it that way as much as I'm saying, hey, if you're planning a conference, you should do this. And if you're, if you're starting a research project, you should include the, you know, the, the, the uh, partners in Parkinson's voices. And, uh, and, and then uh, I, here I am, I'm telling everybody at the end of every podcast, you be sure to exercise. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's one finger pointing at you and there's three of them pointing at me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, and, and it's uh, I'm not doing it uh, and uh, you don't have a say in it and uh, my doctors don't really have a say in it it's all up to me and I have to choose wellness if if I want to be well and um, it is a choice I can choose to take on more projects I can choose to get up in the morning and walk around the block you know you have to be a little bit more careful about your your balance your life balance there and wellness balance. There's a big mental hump around exercise for me. Always has been. But if I look at myself and the exercise that I'm going to commit myself to doing over the course of time as a project, as something that I I can report on, as something that I can, you know, whatever, however I need to position it for myself, I need to do that. Yeah. And I've not done that recently. Well, and as a partner in Parkinson's, that's why it's frustrating to to see you not choosing in your physical physical and mental well-being because down the line it's it's Henry it's me who will be most affected by you not being well or progression speeding up or you not doing everything that you could or at least this one main thing that that you could to manage that and be well for a longer period of time. The, the idea of the person living with the person with Parkinson's or the partners in Parkinson's or whatever we land on for what we call you. Like Cheryl said eloquently in the beginning, they're partners, they're in a marriage, they're spouses, first partner, and Parkinson's is part of that. It's an element of their relationship. But the marriage exists, our marriage exists separate from Parkinson's. Parkinson's is just one aspect of what we deal with in life. Some people say people living with Parkinson's, not diagnosed with Parkinson's, but people living with Parkinson's. So Mm -hmm. the people that are in the house that don't have Parkinson's are people living with Parkinson's. Yes, but what about the, the person that their daughter is taking care of? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is for what to call. I think we'd just call you guys amazing. I'll leave it at that. Hi, I'm Larry. I'm a PWP, and this is my amazing Rebecca. (laughs) The amazing Rebecca. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Next. (laughs) T-shirts. On the panel today, we have Dr. So-and-so and and, uh, Professor What's-Its-Face and the amazing Rebecca. Thank you for being my partner in Parkinson's. Thank you for being my partner in Parkinson's. And uh, I appreciate everything you're doing for the community, too. Thanks. I love you. I love you. So, today, we 
saw some cool birds. We saw some spotted tortoises and some um, baby ducklings. And Carl chased a bunch of little birds. And everybody, do you hear this noise? You hear it? That's a sound of a woodpecker or a hummingbird. And we, we saw, saw heron. Heron and bunch of swags. This episode just scratches the surface as to how important and interwoven our spouses and partners are in the Parkinson's experience. They understand the lived experience. They see the devastation of this disease. Hopefully the next time you're at a Parkinson's charity board meeting, a Parkinson's event planning committee, starting a Parkinson's research project, or putting together panels for a Parkinson's conference, you raise your hand and you ask, what about the partners in Parkinson's? Who's speaking on their behalf? The people living with the people with Parkinson's, where are they? And keep asking. And keep asking. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's, a Curious Cast podcast, written and produced by me, Larry Gifford. Our story editor is Dila Velasquez, and our sound design by Greg Schott. The presenting partner of When Life Gives You Parkinson's is Parkinson Canada, parkinson.ca. One of the programs Parkinson Canada offers is a confidential information and referral line, so if you have any questions at all, don't hesitate to reach out to info at parkinson.ca or call toll-free 1-800-565-3000. Parkinson Canada colleagues are there for you. They're great listeners and can answer questions on a huge range of topics. Special thanks to Tim and Cheryl Haig, Dina Grinnell, Ellen Bookman, Dr. Gila Bronner, Jimmy Choi, Joe and Sarah Pacenti, and my partner in Parkinson's, Rebecca Gifford. Special thanks also to our promotional partner, Spotlight YOPD, the only organization in the world with the singular focus of raising awareness of young onset Parkinson's disease. You can find them at spotlightyopd.org. And in the U.S., Parkinson's IQ Plus U. This is a free series of Parkinson's events from the Michael J. Fox Foundation designed to educate and empower people with Parkinson's and their partners. Some of these events have been postponed due to COVID-19 to 2021, so you can go to michaeljfox.org slash pdiq to look at the rescheduled dates. Speaking of future dates, in 2022, June 7th to 10th, it's the 6th World Parkinson Congress being held in Barcelona, Spain. I am an ambassador for the next World Parkinson Congress. The last one in Kyoto, Japan, was just simply life-altering, amazing, eye-opening, lifelong friendships were made. Uh, I know more about Parkinson's than I ever thought I'd want to know. I can't say enough good things about it. I I hope you can make it. It's the only totally inclusive scientific conference that opens its doors to people with Parkinson's and families. Rebecca, Henry, and I will be there. You should join us. Learn more at WPC2022.org. Thank you for listening, not just to this episode, but for the last two seasons. This is the final episode of season two. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're there, give the show a five-star rating and be sure to share in the comments why you recommend listening to the podcast. We'll be back with more episodes of season three in September of 2020. 
In the meantime, engage with us on social media. It's at Parkinson's Pod at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or email us at Parkinson's Pod at CuriousCast.ca. Keep positive, keep exercising, keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the ring.